Hey, this is Donald Copeland, former Seton Hall Pirate, current assistant coach at Wagner College, and you're listening to Left Coast Pirates. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. I'm almost afraid to ask, but how you doing today, Mikey? Oh, here we go again, Tommy. And this time, I don't know if I'm the problem, and it just lies within me. So I'm going to start off with another story, and... You know what? I think my brother, who could really care less about this podcast, gets way too much airtime for my liking, but I think it kind of makes sense. We're driving in the car the other day, and we come up to a stop sign, and just like I always do, I'm always inching across the line, and I'm playing the podcast on the radio, trying to force it down his throat to say, I'm going to make you listen to it. And he goes, you know what you're like with this podcast, and you know what you're like about your Seton Hall fandom? See how you're over the line just a little bit? He goes... You, relative to Seton Hall and being a fan, you're like all the way in the intersection. That, that's my analogy for you, Michael. And I'm like, okay, Scott, I, 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 I get it. I go, but as a fan, that, that's who I am. I am overly invested in this team. It is easy to let the emotional roller coaster get the best of me. And I'm not just talking about like recapping a week of games or, you know, or getting on the phone with a buddy after a tough loss. It's the in-game play-by-play analysis as I'm texting back and forth with you, Tommy, just kind of breaking down every second of the ups and downs as we're making the comeback or we're going down into the deep hole that we had the other day. You know, it's just, it's hard to stay even keeled, especially when you only play 30 regular season games and they all mean so much. So did I expect this team to go undefeated in conference play on the road? No. Did I expect them to finish the Big East at 16-2? and two? No. Do I think this team is peaked yet? Absolutely not. But that in no way diminishes that this was a frustrating week. And I get it. You know, everyone wants to buy into the hype. It, it's like a drug that you want more of. Can they really make it to the Final Four? Everyone wants to see that this team can go from top 10 into the top 5. Everyone wants to see how high the C line they could possibly earn. However, what this week showed me is that this team still has a lot of things to work on and figure out before March. So I should just buckle up again for what is the roller coaster ride known as Seton Hall basketball. Mikey, you were a lot more positive about this than I expected you to be. And I'm not going to follow up because I've got a whole lot to complain about later and I don't want to get any venom out of my system right now. So 
This week on the podcast, we're going to review the losses to Creighton and at Providence. We go behind enemy lines with Indianapolis star writer David Woods to talk about Butler. We preview the Sunday game against the Johnnies, and we take a look at the road to 24-94. But first, Creighton 87, Seton Hall 82, in a game that featured a high-scoring affair, great pace of play, and back-and-forth action. Seton Hall ended up on the short side of the stick of this one. The Hall's biggest margin was five midway through the first half, but Creighton rallied to take a two-point lead into the half, 41-39. The game featured 15 ties and 20 lead changes, but the Hall trailing by one with 113 to play. Miles Powell lost his defensive assignment coming out of a timeout, and Denzel Mahoney drilled a three. The Hall was never able to make it a one-possession game with the ball from that point on and went on to lose the game. All right, Tommy, stats on this one. Quincy McKnight, 20 points and six assists. Sandro with 13 and six rebounds as well. Gill had 13 points, seven rebounds, three blocks, but Creighton basically stole the show. They had four players finish with 18 points. Tyshawn Alexander, Damian Jefferson, Denzel Mahoney, and Marcus Zagorowski, who also chipped in with eight assists. The rebounding edge went to Seton Hall, but ever so slightly at 39 to 38. And three-point shooting, well, we tried to outdo Villanova at their game last time, and it worked out. Not so much on this night. Seton Hall, 7 of 31, and Creighton doing its thing, 8 of 21 from the field. All right, so before we really go and analyze this loss, I'm just going to say something. It's going to come weird uh, coming out of my mouth, but even though this was a home loss and there's a whole lot to gripe about, I was having a real hard time getting overly upset at this game. The game had a really good flow. The pace was good. It was back and forth. And I know you don't want to lose at home, but Creighton's no slouch. And it's just one of those nights where they were probably just hotter than we were. We watch a lot of games that Seton Hall's involved in where it's defensive oriented. It's a rock fight, right? It's enjoyable to watch good basketball. I mean, Creighton moves the ball beautifully. I mean, they, they shoot 84% from the line. The game didn't have a lot of turnovers. I think there was 24 combined. The, the back and forth makes for a really good game. And, you know, it kind of almost raised Seton Hall's level offensively to kind of play alongside them. I, I know Miles had a bad game himself, but everybody else seemed to play pretty well on the offensive side of the ball. It was it was just enjoyable basketball to watch. No, and and lots of players stepped up that you didn't even mention. I mean, early in that first half, it was all Miles Kale, and I know we'll get into it, but guys were stepping up while Miles was having a hard time. Do I even want to go here? I mean, should we, should we just get into the game, or do do I have to even just throw out the nugget that the flu might have reared its ugly head again? And any ideas, Tommy? What's do we need to have a nutritionist on the team as well as a you know a, a guy working on the what the heck do they call it? The physical conditioning of the team? I mean, come on. Uh, you know, I don't want to make too much of a joke of this. I mean, they say Darnell Brody was in the hospital with this. I don't want to make a joke out of it, but I don't know, man. Get what, what do you call those pills? Those zinc tablets, man. Do you gotta gotta invest C-packs, in it? You, gotta, you get the CPAP, right? Oh, <laughs> I don't man. know, man. I don't know. The, my my eight year old's elementary school is getting hit with the flu too, so I'm not gonna say anything about it. If if Seton Hall gets struck with hand foot mouth disease, that's it. I all bets are off. 
All right, let, let's let's get into some actual basketball here. And I'm, I want to start with Miles. I mean, Miles had an off night. We don't want to sugarcoat it. He's Superman. He's the guy who's going to lead us to the promised land. Yes, we need to have other guys step up and support him. But if Miles is going to have an off night, this team is going to struggle. Three of 16, one of 11 from three, four turnovers. And this kind of jumped off the page to me. He had no rebounds. Like, you know, it just kind of tells you how engaged somebody is in the game when some of the other things that they do well, he was averaging almost five a game. He didn't grab one rebound. Well, it is odd. And going back to his shooting, though, Mike, you know, he must be feeling frustrated because there was a whole lot of rushed and ill-advised threes that he was putting up. I mean, the announcers normally say that Miles is great at letting the game come to him. And I don't know that that was the case this one. No, no. I mean, here, here's my thing. I, I would like to see him more play within the flow of the game. Let the offense come to him. And if we're in a close game late, go nuts. No arguments here whatsoever. Like the St. John's game. I'm, I'm, I don't remember his exact statistics, but when they had the possession for that last three minutes, it was like, give it to Miles, clear out. I don't think anybody in the gym was going to have a problem no matter what shot he took at that point. I mean, you still want to have him use a you know better judgment and not just jack up NBA threes with two defenders in his face, but I want him to have the ball in his hands. So I don't want to kind of take anything away from that, but his, his frustration on offense has led to some other issues on the court. Let's talk about the defensive laps to end the game. Oh, it was bad. And you know, it was ironic because I want to say the previous timeout to, to this last missed assignment, the announcers were just giving heaping praise on Willard on how he came up with this great defensive idea or play coming out of the timeout. And they forced a, a, a they forced Creighton into a turnover. And then they, they come. Him, yeah, no, they forced him to do a shot clock violation. Which, that is, was, a, which it, is a turnover. Oh, geez, Louise. It's, it's a difference between a which turnover. Is a Turnover and a shot clock. <laughs> no, I thought the shot clock violation specifically highlighted how much he got into McDermott's head and how that team wasn't prepared for that defensive set. I, I really want to give Willard his credit there. And, but then and then 45 seconds of play later, Miles misses his assignment. Okay, so so the, my issue with this would be okay if it's in the flow of play and the ball is coming back up and forth, back and forth, up and down the court, and Miles loses his assignment. I, I could understand that 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 could happen in the course of play. They were coming out of a timeout, but not a single word from the announcer saying what happened here. Where, where, where's that great chiropractor? Uh, I, the bigger issue is, and, and Jerry Carino pointed this out, so I got to give him his due. In his last four games at the Rock, Powell shot just 16 of 57, 28% from the floor, and he shot from three-point range, four of 32 from deep. It, does Miles have, like, a home jinx going on? I don't know if it's a home jinx. Ever since the concussion, they, I don't know the numbers. I don't have them in front of me. He has not been shooting well from three. And, and you know, most of his, most of the games since then have been on the road. But I don't know, man. It, it's, he hasn't been the same. And I don't know so, if it's, uh, you know, we mentioned, I, I mentioned to you at one point, it seems like a lot of times he's double plumping his three. And you said, no, he does that a lot. You just haven't noticed it. But it's getting noticeable now. My issue is, you know, we, we joke about it and say, oh, the crowd can't stand up and cheer unless Miles hits a three. Is he trying to play to the crowd a little bit at home? Is he trying to live up to the player of the year expectations and the national player of the year 
recognition he's getting and feel like he has to do something extra special in these games? That would be my concern in analyzing these numbers. I don't think he's caring about the crowd. I don't think he's trying to live up to any kind of all-American considerations. I think he is trying to live up to the uh, to the point where he is, quote-unquote, the man on the team, and he's trying to put it on his shoulders. And sometimes he's just got to realize there are no five-point shots in basketball. Sometimes you, you got to get the best shot available as opposed to the big shot. All right, so let's move on. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna keep this. Man, we were bag. gripe. You were giving me sour grapes and gripes already, man. Uh, uh, we haven't even gotten there yet. I was about to say I wasn't gonna keep this segment in the bag much longer. I'm gonna whip out sour grapes and gripes right away. I- I'm gonna ask you right all out of the gate: Did Willard get out coached in this one? You know, he was asked in the post game about his strategy on playing a smaller lineup, and he goes, "Well, we had no choice. Once Christian Bishop got his third foul, you know, McDermott." went with Denzel Mahoney and Damian Jefferson. That's a hard matchup for Ike and Rowe. So they put so much pressure on us through the prick and rolls. We just tried to go small and switch off some stuff, you know, but we didn't do a very good job, uh, you know, on keeping our guys in front of us. I thought they did a good job of attacking, especially with Mahoney and Jefferson. Here's my question to you, Tom. If you win the coaching battle, don't you force the other team to have to match up to your strength or beat them into submission until they stop it? Well, you asked, did Willard get out coached here? There's certain a number of coaches in the Big East that we, the uh, left coast pirates, really like. We love ourselves some Ed Cooley. We love ourselves some McDermott. Pat Ewing is coming up that list because he's really getting his guys to play hard. But you ask me this. I said this to you right after the game, and you were a Willard apologist. Immediately after the game, I said, why did we go away from going big? And as you pointed out, Creighton's rotation went small. Well, we're the second tallest team in the country, according to those announcers who come on and pull the same trick out of the bag of every other announcing crew. And I do believe during our preview for the Battle of Atlantis, the tireless John Fanta talked about not letting opposing coaches dictate the game plan. And he even joked around about playing Rowan and Ike together. So yes, I think we got outcoached there. I think we didn't put our foot on the gas. We had a big advantage. I mean, the start of that second half, I want to say we got three or four really good possessions straight down to row, no? Yeah, we did. I, like, I was just trying to state the obvious when you and I were having that call. I wasn't trying to say I agreed no, with them. No, you were apologizing. You're such oh, a willing apologist. Well, when I become a willing apologist, please shoot me. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's continue with this though. I mean, there's good stuff here. So Sandro and Gill shoot 11 for 17 from the field. So when they did go down low, it's not like they were having, you know, moderate success. They were dominating. But what's confusing is shouldn't that have been the approach from the onset first half statistics had Creighton dominating them in the paint to a tune of 18 to 10. So this chiropractor that Willard is, Great, he's making the adjustment in the second half. Why couldn't that have been the adjustment from the opening tip, right? Let's adjust in the pregame, Kevin. I'm, I'm getting a little you know, off kilter here. My other concern is when they're not going into the post, they're not attacking the rim. We're good at crashing the offensive glass, using our size. And once again, we're shooting 31 three-pointers. Now, I know Miles was one for 11, but six of 20 for the rest of the team is still not a great number. 
right? No, and and we keep thinking we're a good three-point shooting team. There was a stretch of games where Q was really shooting well from three, but he's kind of come back to his norm. You know, it's not going to stay. He's not going to keep shooting at that clip. So we need to think about what we want to do and and change it. This is going to sound silly. I kind of want them not to get off to a hot start shooting threes. (laughs) They started that game shooting four or five as a team. They finished the game three or 26. I think they get in their heads after they hit the first couple. Like, all right, we're on tonight. Uh, maybe not so much, but that goes back to coaching again. I think Willard's got to reel them in and be like, guys, attack the basket, get in the paint. You know, there were rumors that he was yelling at them in certain timeouts to do that. But if you're not going to execute the game plan, take, take the guy out and put somebody else in who's going to. Right, let's, let's move on. You know what else drove me crazy, Mike? Substitution patterns. And I know this is a broken record because substitution patterns over the past five, six years have, have actually gotten me to go nuts here. But a few things were kind of odd. You know, why do you put Sandro back in the first half when he's got two fouls already? I have no idea. So all I keep reading about and hearing about is Seton Hall's depth, right? You got Samuel. You got Roden that can play the four. You got the Twin Towers on the front line. You have all these pieces in your tool bag that you can maneuver. And and we weren't getting blown out, right? It was We were down by like five or six. Because I think Creighton went on a little mini run and you feel like you got to kind of bring Sandro back in and, and play that card. That's a very risky card to play at that point. It just didn't make any sense to me. Well, you know, historically, Willard has shrunken younger players' minutes as we get into the Big East schedule. But wasn't Tyrese Samuel playing relatively well in the out-of-conference and early uh, Big East schedule to the point where okay, Sandro's got his foul trouble. Put in the big foul and leave him in for a little bit. I thought so. I mean, he did. He played him that way in the Providence game. I, it's just really confusing as to his how his confidence level sways with players. I mean, we knew his minutes were going to get cut, Samuel, once that Sandro was back, but he was almost kind of relegated to being non-existent in this game. It just was very confusing. But but he makes he makes more mistakes, in my opinion, with how he used Sandro in the second half. So he brings him back with four fouls with six minutes to go. Was that too soon? Again, I I mean, is he coaching scared at that point? Is he worried about it? I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, and then obviously Sandro gets a foul 30 seconds later and he's out of the game. And then you sit there and say, okay, now how is he going to match up? Do I bring in Roe and try to force the big action again? No, now he brings in Samuel. Absolutely cold. And and you're going to throw him in in crunch time in this game. I, I... there's a lot of things that I was questioning with the substitutions, and it doesn't stop there. I'll let you run with the Miles Kale piece. Go. Well, you know, I've got a special place in my heart for Miles Kale. And yes, he's been struggling lately. And even last week, I said Jared Roden should be starting in place of him. He's just not playing that well. But he comes in, he gets his first two shots in. And then he gets immediately subbed out after the first TV timeout. Why? But I don't know. Why? Ride the hot hand for crying out loud. But then he comes back in, gets that monster dunk. I'm texting you expletives telling you how much I'm loving it. But then they go away from him. You know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, he doesn't score the rest of the game. And, and then he only gets 23 minutes. 
And he's not a guy that you're going to run isolated offense for. But why can't we run Kale off a double pin down screen? Not with the intention to possibly shoot the three, but to get him on the move, get him slashing to the basket, and continue with that aggressive mindset that he's playing with so far. But but I want to say he he made three shots early, and then he had only four shots for the rest of the game. And you know they're spread out, so he's not getting in any kind of rhythm. He needs to be in a rhythm when he's playing well. So th- this is why I hate the plus minus, and, and this is why I'm more of an eye test guy. On the night, Kale was a minus nine. Did, did, it, did the plus minus tell you that Kale was a minus nine that night? I, I didn't feel that way. Gill was a minus 13. That made sense to me, right? They they were exploiting the fact that Gill was there and he couldn't play the high pick and roll with the smaller 6'5 guys attacking the basket on him. But Powell's plus minus was a, a flat zero. He had probably the worst game of all the players on the court that night. That makes zero sense. This is my little soapbox for the podcast is can we just throw away plus minus sometimes? I mean, none of those numbers make sense for this game. And we're going to sit there and say, well, well, Kale was a minus nine. That's why they didn't get as many minutes. I'm not okay with that. Well, you know, I, I don't get the substitution patterns. And in this case, I don't get how Kale's being used. He was hot in the first half. Or actually, he was. He scored seven of the first 13 points. And they don't keep going to the hot hand. They don't capitalize on him. And somehow he gets less burn in the second half than he does in the first half. So what does this say to players about playing well and playing hard? You know, play well for me in the first eight minutes of the game, and then I'm going to go away from you anyway. I don't care. So this has been driving me nuts. But you know what? Let's hold that thought for a second because it's going to rear its ugly head later. All right. Let's segue to something that's a little bit more positive for the week. Let's move on to uh, the did did they really say that piece for the announcers? And That's a positive? You're about to (laughs) bang on the announcers, and that's a positive? All right, all right. You're probably thinking, like, what the heck? Where's he going with this, right? But Wednesday night was Bill Raftery bobblehead night. So I'm going to give a different spin. Instead of picking on Bill, I want to kind of highlight and honor Bill for his success behind the mic. Because because I love me some Raff, right? You love yourself some Ed Cooley. Oh, Raff is uh, great. I love me some Raff. So Raff always likes to kind of start off the game with his, and Seton Hall comes out, man a man. But they didn't, right? Seton Hall comes out in a matchup zone. So Raff's like, Seton Hall comes out in a matchup zone with... Man to man Tennessee's. <laughs> it's just good stuff. Just good stuff. And, and then there's a, there's another moment in the first half where there's a moving pick on the Creighton uh, big man, and he barely moved. And Raph goes, ah, that ref, he's never been on the New York subway before. <laughs> just good stuff, man. Just good stuff. I Anyway, all right. So, But the irony of all of this is that Brian Custer was supposed to be on this call, and they decide to switch him off of this game to bring in Raph and Gus probably because of the bobblehead night, but they also thought this was the more uh, prominent marquee game instead of Marquette Villanova, and they moved Custer over to that matchup. We probably could have used Brian in the streak this night. We, we could have used that streak, but you know what? And I know this is your segment, Mike, but I got to pick on someone just a little bit. We'll get to the debacle at the dunk in full glory in a second, but I'd like to pick on Steve Lapis here for a little. You know, I think Steve is pretty good in general. He, he interjects great nuggets from his coaching career without going all Tim McCarver on you. But I, And I especially like that the rental car T uh, situation he described, but he had a little bit of a miss 
misstep late in the game. So follow me here, if you will. Miles Powell collects his fourth foul with about six and change left in the game. Seton Hall's down four. He leaves the game, and Providence immediately goes up six. But Seton Hall answers right away with a pair of foul shots by Quincy. Lapis comes out almost immediately and says, if Seton Hall goes down six, expect Miles to come back. Well, they were down six 15 seconds prior to Lapis saying this, but now with 540 left or so, it's a priority to bring Miles back. But he did bring Miles back. No, right, no, I get it. But we've seen coaching scared, but it, announcing scared, that's a whole new ball game, man. I, I was just wondering if, you know, Willard's got like, you know, a, a mic like feeding into the broadcast going, well, Lapis says, I got to get him back in. Gotta get him back he's in. got an earpiece like he's Secret Service. Uh, let, let's let's try to stay positive here. Let's move on to the, whoa, did you see that moment for the week? Kale is going to be literal all over the section because like you said, he, he came out guns a-blazing and I didn't even have his, his big throwdown dunk as my first bullet point. I'm watching Kale for his first bucket. He drives, spins, and hits this little fadeaway jumper. And I was like, whoa, Miles might have something going today. I'm like, write that one down. That, that, that's an early, whoa, did you see that moment candidate? And then a couple minutes later, he comes back and we keep on saying this. I know how you love a throwdown hammer dunk, but so did the rock, man. This place was lit. Everyone's up. Kale is is pumping and flexing and he looked angry. He had this scowl on his face like, I'm back. I'm here. You don't get to ignore me for the night, except we ignored him for the rest of the night. And he was about to get angrier in a second, Mike, because... Providence 74, Seton Hall 71. Providence came out and punched the Pirates right in the mouth with a 34-9 start. Yes, a 34-9 start, and this is not a recap of the Xavier game. Alpha Diallo scored 17 of his points during that run alone. Seton Hall ended the half on a 12-2 run to stay within striking distance of 41-27. The Hall came out with better energy in the second half and cut the lead to two at 52-50 on a pair of Quincy McKnight free throws with eight minutes left to play. But that was as close as the Hall would get as Providence made just enough plays at the end to win the game. All right, here's the statistical breakdown in this one, Tom. Miles Powell, 27 points, but conversely, seven turnovers. Quincy McKnight, 14 points, but on one of eight shooting, all of his damage coming from the line, 12 of 14, and five assists. Alpha Diallo, career high, 35 points and 10 rebounds. Speaking of the glass, rebounds, Providence, 47 Seton Hall 35 for a minus 12 edge for the Hall. Providence also put up another 20 offensive rebounds, backing up the 19 that they collected in their previous matchup. Three-point shooting once again reared its ugly head. Seton Hall 9 for 28. And Providence, one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the conference, was a moderate 7 of 17 for 41%. They shoot 31% for the year, Tommy. And Diallo was five for five when he shoots 25%. Things were just clicking for Providence to get this game started. You know, if I wasn't angry about the Creighton game, it was probably because I was subconsciously saving my energy for this Providence game, Mike. You know, I know you always say, don't tweet angry. We don't 
podcast angry, but I did tweet a few things during the game, and I said this was the exact polar opposite of how they came out against Nova the previous Saturday in Philadelphia. There, they looked like they had a plan. They were physically, mentally, and seemingly emotionally prepared for the game. And here, the exact opposite. They were clearly playing an inferior Friars team. And let's not sugarcoat it, Mike. There are some teams that should not match up against us in the Big East, and this is one of them. And they went out there, and they stunk up the floor. And as much as I gave credit for the game at Nova, I am putting this one on Coach Willard because we sure as hell know he wouldn't do it himself. What was the game plan here, Mike? I can't figure it out. And obviously the team didn't know what it was. Was it to crank up as many threes as possible? They were one of 10 in that initial run that Providence put on them. We'll go into it later, but Providence came in as the 21st best offensive rebounding team in the country. And you already said it. They put up 19 offensive rebounds during the first matchup against us. Was there any extra effort to box out? Even though our starting front court includes a 6'11 and a legit 7'2 player? I would hazard no considering the Friars grab three offensive boards in the first 42 seconds and then the cappers his post-game comments and then his uh post-game with uh, gary cohen all the usual sp- suspects are eating it up but i got a different spin but you know what let me get off my soapbox and let's look at the game all right but before we dive into the game let me give you a couple responses to to your soapbox because I agree with most of it. It wasn't just one for 10. They started that game three of 21. I'm on the end of the podcast last week telling you, don't worry about it. They didn't have Sandro in the first game. That's going to be the catalyst to kind of keep Providence off the glass. I was completely wrong. And to be honest, it's an energy level thing. And the energy level can be placed on the players. It could be placed on the coach, but it's got to be a collective mindset coming into these types of games on the road when you are the better team and you're the hunted you cannot get off to these types of starts and that's where i want to kind of begin with our analysis of this game it is now twice in the last five games that we have let an opponent come out and smack us in the face with no response so xavier as you mentioned 30 to 6 providence 34 to 9 eerily similar but let's not also forget we started that rutgers game 26 to 5. I mean, these are not elite teams. Rutgers is playing much better than they have historically played. Providence and Xavier are middle of the pack teams, but they're not elite teams, Tom. And and they're just crushing us out of the gate in these games. You know, I'll give them a pass for the Rutgers game. We didn't have Sandro. You know, he, he broke his wrist at Iowa State at that point. And three minutes into the Rutgers game, you had Miles get a concussion and then grind out some more time afterwards. But he was clearly not in his right head for that game. So I'll give them that pass. But at home to Xavier, that's indefensible. Going into Providence when you just lost the game at Creighton and know you have to win this game, there's nothing to defend about that either. I don't want to take away from the good response. I mean, to make it a competitive game in both situations, but you cannot continue to dig yourself these types of deep holes to try to get out of. You know, we talked about in some of the other analysis after the Xavier podcast that, you know, you're going to get down by 10 sometimes and circumstance will dictate that another team's hot and that you come back. But, you know, 
it's causing some other things to happen as fallout. He's cutting his rotation now down to seven players, and you're going to tire guys out down the stretch if you're trying to make these types of massive comebacks. You, you just can't do it. It's not a recipe for success, and that's obviously kind of stating you know, what anybody can look at these games and say, you can't get down by 25 to start. I mean, that's just frustrating. Well, just uh, you, frustrating. Know, you, you get down 25 to start, and you make this huge comeback. I mean, they became they came back to within two. They played great defense. Providence wasn't making shots. They were rebounding the ball well. But eventually, law of averages are going to turn around, and Providence will start making shots, even at a normal clip. And then you're just trading baskets for a while. I mean, you can't expect to make up that kind of deficit, especially away from home so that's why i'm okay with it hypothetically they got out of the gate 12-2 down and then they go into a timeout and willard gets them refocused and they come out with a different level of energy whether it's the starters whether it's the bench i don't care what it is whip out your magic chiropractic toolkit and start making some changes right from the get-go weather the storm and if they would have weathered the storm then then you're right we go on our run we don't expend as much energy Yes, Providence is going to hit a couple buckets, but the law of averages would have played out in our favor. When you're down by 25, everything has to go perfectly. You know what? And you're going to look at the box score and go, well, I mean, what happens? I mean, you can't be losing too many games when Miles Powell scores 27. But, and I'm going to come across as the bad guy here because how do you pick on Miles Powell when he scores 27? But let's talk about it. And you tell me if you disagree, all right? Bullet point number one, true or false, Miles slow starts I've been hurting the team. Well, they don't help. <laughs> I mean, they're oh, not helping right. the team. Okay, all right. His shot selection has been questionable lately. Oh, that 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 goes without saying. And I mean, even last night, he took some from the Dunkin' Donuts logo. I know he made a couple late in the game, but you, you can't just start pulling up from that far out. True or false, you're concerned about his offensive struggles affecting his defense because now he's getting into foul trouble either with, you know, little loose change plays on the defensive end or offensive fouls trying to force the issue. You beat me to the punch there. You know, you can almost mark down miles for certain things. You you can mark them down for hitting a crazy three-point shot to the game. You can mark them down for getting knocked down on a, on a driving layup. And you can knock, mark them down for an offensive foul. That basically means he's playing with four fouls all game long. Tommy had an offense, offensive foul on a three-on-one fast break. On oh, a three-on-one yeah. fast break. Yeah. That, that's back ah, to the uh, fundamentals, Mike. That's the fundamentals. Do we have to do that? Do we have to go over the whole segment where we show how you run a fast break again? <laughs> no? Uh, okay. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, on top of that, you know, it, it's just having this trickle effect. In addition to the poor shooting, he's had a total of 11 turnovers in the last two games. He has not been playing at that All-American level that the Pirates need him to play at to win big games in March. I'm not trying to deflect and put all this on Miles' shoulder because I think maybe that's what he's doing to himself right now, but I'm not going to look at this box score and go 27 and then blame it on everybody else. Miles was a contributing factor to this loss and the previous one. No, and players go through struggles, you know, through the season. I mean, 30 games in college speak, you know, it's a long grind season, so he's going to have some bad games. I mean, you look at Marcus Howard's numbers, you'll see a couple scattered, you know, single-point games, and then he'll break out a 48 against somebody. So, I mean, it's not like he's the only one that struggles, but we do need Miles to kind of get back into the rhythm to really make a push into March here. So I believe that he will kind of 
find his legs or that we'll find a different way to kind of get him going. What I'm concerned about is we have an underlying issue that has reared its ugly head, not just this season, but fundamentally throughout the Kevin Willick regime. We do not box out, and therefore we end up having a rebounding issue that is glaring. And the 20 offensive rebounds again last night, to me, is not just pat Providence on the back because they're good at offensive rebounding. That's that's not okay because everybody's doing it to us. We highlighted it in the Creighton game that we won the rebounding edge 39 to 38. One, they play guys that are 6'7", 6'5". They ran five guards out there. If you want to tell me that they're hitting shots, that's fine. How are we even on the glass against a team like Creighton and taken to the woodshed for a second straight time by Providence. We mentioned it earlier, and if you didn't hear us say it, I know you've heard the announcers say it. Second biggest team in the country. We've got a 6'11 guy starting. we got a 7'2 guy starting, and we can't box out. Mike, like I said during my soapbox speech, they had three offensive rebounds in the first 42 seconds. That yeah, should have like, said like, like, everything like, that meant to you. It's like five after 60 seconds. It didn't get any better. It was an avalanche. My, my, my bigger issue is the collective body of work here. 81st in total team rebounding coming into this game in the nation. Ranked 162nd in rebound margin. You know what? You want to go to the final four. You, you have grandioso hopes and dreams for this team. There's going to be a night where you're having an off night and your defense is playing great. And then you let it go to all, all go to waste because you can't board. And it doesn't really make any sense why we don't board better. And, and we'll get to, we'll get to more points about that a little bit later on. But Mike, weren't we supposed to be this deep team? Weren't we supposed to be this deepest team since ninety two, ninety three? Well, the depth is gone, Mike. I mean, Kale's in the doghouse. He had seven minutes. No run in the second half whatsoever. Ike had five minutes. Nelson had two. Why are you even putting the poor kid on the floor anymore? You know what? You know what you could add to that? Sandro didn't start the second half. I mean, there is no depth on this team right now, Mike. And they've created that. Look, I'm just going to continue to say things on this podcast and I'm going to be the bad guy. You want me to believe that this is going to be a Final Four team and Shavar Reynolds is the first reserve off the bench when he's averaging four points a game this season. No knock on Shavar once again because of the defense he plays. We have zero, zero offense off of our bench right now. None. You know, it was Jared Roden could come off the bench to kind of supplant Kale and give you that energy and give you that scoring punch. Now Roden's starting. I'm not saying that Jared doesn't deserve it, but Kale is not playing that role off the bench. He has that seven points, like you said, lickety split in the beginning of the Creighton game. And then over the course of the next 60 minutes of basketball, I don't even know if he's on this roster. And literally, Mike, at this point, you have no one backing up the point. McKnight was having a rough game offensively. He was turning the ball over on bad passes. He wasn't shooting well. He was getting to the line. He was hitting some foul shots. But you've got nothing coming off the bench. Do not tell me Shavar's our backup point. It's not the case. Do not tell me Miles is going to be your lead guard. It wasn't working. You you need you need Nelson to step up. You need Kale to step up. You need to get these guys fixed. You need but the developer of players to fix this. But that's my concern. I think with Kale, there's still some hope. I do believe that. I think with Anthony Nelson, I think that ship has sailed. I thought they should have taken what happened in the Maryland and Prairie View games, and they should have found a way to continue to balance his effort. 
I don't know if his defense is really that lacking. I don't know if it's his attitude. I just don't know if there's a love affair with Willard liking the defense and they're putting the bulk of minutes towards Shavar. But since those two games when Powell was out, we have gotten limited production from Nelson and it's just on a downward cycle ever since to the point where he's out of the rotation. The, the kid has zero confidence. Right now, he is not your backup point guard. I, we, I can't even make the argument that he should be at this point. And that leads us to the post-game comments from Willard after this game. So uh, go ahead. You read the quotes this time. Well, so the post-game comments were more brimstone and fire when he was on the uh, radio show with Gary Cohen. It seemed a little more tempered once he got into the media room. But basically, here it goes. The bench is going to get shortened. Either you're going to show up or you're not. I'm really disappointed in a few guys. When we lost to Creighton the other day, we played terrible. And I'm sitting in practice and I'm thinking, I've got a guy, Moody, that doesn't want to go through practice who hardly played. I've got another guy who played 25 minutes that can't make a shot and didn't have a rebound. I have another guy who's who just got embarrassed defensively. It's not what should be happening right now, and I will make sure of it. Come in 20 minutes, and there will be a large correction. He also made a comment saying that I'll just play six. Just play six? I, I, what six are you going to play? I, I, you know, it sounds pouty. It, it, it really does. It sounds like when my 13-year-old comes in and she's still making excuses and she's angry about something. All right, so let's, let's pretend like we're in elementary school and you have a test where you got three quotes on one side and three answers on the other, and you got to draw lines to connect the dots to see who matches up with who, all right? right? Let, let, let's start off with maybe the easiest one of these to figure out. Let's start off with the, I've got the guy that got embarrassed defensively. I think... I think he's pointing to Miles Kale at that point because that's really the only one I could remember that that got embarrassed or quote unquote embarrassed. I'm assuming he means the AJ Reeves dunk. So Miles got caught reaching instead of playing good defense and staying in front of the person, and that was all she wrote. Reeves goes up for an emphatic dunk. But this is the same guy that started like a ball of fire against Creighton and Willard basically benched in the second half of that game. So what is Miles thinking? I play well, I don't get burned. I play like crap, I don't get burned. How's that going to get a good attitude? I, I don't know. I, he's definitely looking over his shoulder. So there's two schools of thought right now is that Willard has given Kale a lot of rope through his uh, career here at Seton Hall. And Kale has not risen to the occasion of taking his, you know, inconsistent performance. Good, good, good and great at times last year but an inconsistent performance and elevated it to where we thought it was going to be his junior season. So at this point, Willard is justified by saying, you know what, get to the end of the bench and prove to me that you want to actually play with that fire or Kale is the kind of guy that you need to nurture, coddle and find a way to get him going. But Which he was it? playing with fire at Creighton and didn't help him. I don't know what you want me to say, do they? I mean, I, I don't see Willard running offensive sets for Miles Kale. He doesn't run offensive sets to begin with, in my opinion. So I don't know how we get Miles started. I think Miles has to do it on the defensive end. He's got to crash the glass. He's got to finish, though. He's got to finish. He makes a lot of nice moves. And you're like, wow, oh, oh they're all, oh. No, no yeah, doubt. Just, no uh... doubt he hasn't been playing well. But when you do play well, you've got to get that burn. 
to see if you can keep it going. So let, let's go on to the next one that may be the, uh, another one that we could figure out. The one is I, I got another guy who played 25 minutes that can't make a shot and, and didn't have a rebound. I think that's an exaggeration a little bit of what it looked like, but that's kind of what Mamu had in the game against Providence here. So Mamu so, goes so 21 he, minutes, he scores a few baskets, he doesn't shoot the ball rel very well, and he gets one rebound. Our 6'11 power forward has one rebound and at least three Sandro shrugs during the game after foul calls. Someone needs to tell Mamu it's a bad look, kid. <laughs> I just don't even know where to go with this right now. Uh, so I have to try to now decode Willard. He's saying in the Creighton game, but now he's he's doing Sandro for the Providence game, and I'm supposed to figure that out. Oh, okay, I'm with you because nothing else fits. Nobody else played 25 minutes and didn't grab a rebound. That was clearly Sandro's stat line from this last game, even though he only played 20, but, but okay. And then I'm just shocked that you didn't just kind of jump on the bandwagon and support Willard high hell and water because Sandro had a bad game and there's Tommy's opportunity to let me have it here. No, you know, I'm, again, I like the kid. He's got, he, and he's played well. Just, he need, you need to get floor time. And you know what, Mike, but there's one thing, and this isn't a slam on Sandro, but we've talked about this off the air. Doesn't it seem like he should rebound better than he does? I mean, he's 6'11", yeah. he's got good size, he's got a great skill set, but he's not a ball hawk like you'd think he'd be. I'm going to make a different comparison. I'm going to say that Sandro and Kale are in, in a very similar mold, and when they're playing well, they play well off of their confidence. I know that probably goes first, you know, without saying for a lot of players, but when they are having a good game, it just tends to kind of accentuate and, you know, expand to all parts of their game. And when they have a bad one, they have a bad one. And and the hope was that by the time that we got to this junior season for both of them, we were going to see, you know, limited bad, bad ones. And if they had a bad game, they were still going to have an impact on the outcome to a certain extent. They have both disappeared when they've had a bad game. And that is just crushing for this team because Q had a bad game too. So, you know, Miles was chucking. I told you I wasn't impressed by his 27. And then you got three supporting role pieces that are, you know, super important, all having a bad game at the same time. But, okay, let, let's wrap up this matching of quotes because by default, the last quote goes to? Probably Anthony Nelson at this point. I've got nothing to go by, but I can't see I can't see him not saying, well, I'm not going to practice hard. I'm not getting any burn. I've got a walk-on in front of me that's not even a point guard playing my minutes. I, you know what? Hey, hey, I get it. He's checked out, I think, man. I, I don't know that he comes back next year. And, and that was going to be my takeaway. You're sitting there going, we got to get Anthony Nelson fixed so that we have another solution offensively at a backup point guard if, God forbid, Q gets hurt or Q gets in major foul trouble. And I took away the same thing that you just described. I think he's so checked out right now that he's already kind of thinking about transfer portal and where he's going to be going next year. And that is not the mindset that you need in the locker room on a team that has, you know, the types of aspirations that they have. He could still play a very important role on this team, and I don't have the confidence that right now he's going to do that. And think about next year for a second. You think it hurts us this year because we've got no point guard backup? 
What happens next year? We've got the kid Jahari Long coming in as a three-star point guard recruit. You know, I know he's rising on some rankings, but you got to think he's coming in to like a backup slot. Who's the starting point guard next year if if, uh, Anthony Nelson leaves? Don't make me say it. Don't make me say it. No, seriously. I'm asking you the question. If you're telling me that, you know, Nelson's off this roster and you're telling me they don't land another high-profile point guard, your point guard right now is Shavar Reynolds. You better hope that Zion kid gets recruited and signed because if not, we're in a world of hurt next year because I hate to say it, Shavar's no point guard. How about you? We just fix Nelson. Fix Nelson! Come on! Where's this player development that I screamed about a few weeks ago? You've got three guys on this roster who are in need of player development. You've got Miles Kale right now who needs to return to form. We've got Anthony Nelson who showed flashes, especially this year of playing well. And you know what? You've had Torian Thompson on the roster for three years and you haven't figured out how to get a single thing out of him. This kid scored 10 points a game for Jim Beheim, and you can't figure out how to use him. Am I allowed to add Ike to this list? Can we add Ike to this list too? Maybe maybe we should be playing with only seven. I don't know. Uh, maybe you know he's on to something. But, but you know what? This whole comments, these whole quotes about, hey, I'm going to be the tough guy. It's getting eaten up by all the writers. And I'm going to say this. Is this not total Willard time to deflect, deflect, deflect? He should come out there and say, I didn't get the team prepared appropriately. I didn't get them in the right mindset. I didn't get them to understand that they got 19 offensive rebound us the first time out and so don't make sure you box out and what happens first 42 seconds three offensive rebounds he should have burned a timeout right there and lit into the team how do you do that Heck yeah, you should have. Absolutely. I'm done with him throwing guys under the bus. He did this for years. Every year it's somebody. It's Desi. It's Ish. Now it's it's Kale this year. I mean, I'm done with this. How do you not have a hold on your team? How do you never have a hold on your team? You know what this screams of, Mike? This screams of players only meeting coming. How many years in a row has it been, Mike? Uh, that would be that'd be six, Tommy. All right, six it years. hasn't happened, but I bet it's coming. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you this right now. I hope during that players only meeting, I hope they be careful about who speaks in that meeting. It better be Q and it better be Powell. Nobody else needs to talk. Maybe Roe. Maybe Roe can say some words. Everybody else, shut your pie hole and let the thing happen. Because if the wrong person speaks and people are really pissed off about their minutes, they're pissed off about the people playing ahead of them. I'm I'm not even going to go down this rabbit hole and just assume what's going to happen with the behind the locker room dynamics or sitting around Xavier Hall and discussing in the, you know, in the common area, you know, how they're going to work this out. Let's, let's not do that. We're, we're not in that environment. All right. So, so let's just reset as to where these two losses leave us at the end of the week. The reality is previously we had a three game lead in the standings and that lead is now down to one game over Creighton and they would hold the tiebreaker over us with a win in the rematch at their place to end the season. So this stranglehold on the conference title that we have not had in ages it is a little precarious now. You know, the net, I, I thought it was going to drop this morning. It's still at 15. I, I can't figure out the net whatsoever, but you know, we're not trending in the right direction for where we're going with our metric. You know, the Michigan State loss is not looking as good 
as it did previously as they lost their ninth game yesterday, Tommy. Iowa State is going to end up as a quad two loss on the road as Tyler Halliburton is now out for the season and they are currently 10 and 14. While the early season losses may have built character and taught this team some valuable lessons, there are only so many games that you can lose and still be in the two or three seed conversation. You know, this team could respectively still end up with nine to 11 losses, and that's going to put you somewhere on the four to six seed line in most years, depending on the body of work and what other teams do. You know, finishing 14 and four with the remaining schedule is going to be pretty darn tough. I mean, have you looked at the stretch? Home Butler, home St. John's, at Marquette, the rematch home against Nova, and at Creighton. Are you telling me right now that you believe we're going to go four and one in those games? That's a tough stretch, Mike. I'll tell you what, you know, just looking at it, trying to stay positive, that's a 3-2 stretch at best. I mean, as uh, the way the team looks right now, three and two would be nothing short of a miracle. Uh, you know what? Let, let's just, instead of kind of breaking down all five of these games, let's just dive right into our behind the enemy line segments and break down the upcoming Butler game. He has been a reporter for the Indianapolis Star since 1994, covering major sporting events like the Olympics, and more importantly, the Butler Bulldogs. Welcome to Left Coast Pirates Live, David Woods. David, how are you today? I'm doing just fine. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm always ready to talk about Butler basketball. Nah, thank you, David, for joining the show. Okay, David, so the last time Seton Hall played Butler, they were ranked fifth in the country, 15-1 and one overall. But since that game, they've dropped six out of their last 10. They've had their ups and downs. They've you know lost to DePaul, but they've also had a big win against Nova. Is there any underlying issue with this team, or have they just become a victim of the Big East gauntlet? Really, I, I think it's a lot of it's the latter. I think they've just become a, a victim of the Big East gauntlet. Um, and, and also, I, I can't, I'm not can't completely quantify this they they just function so much better when uh point guard uh, aaron thompson is there that that was really underscored i think when they played when they lost to georgetown yesterday the um he, he really makes the offense click and the pace is much better when he's there um but he again in the xavier game he um he got uh, clobbered uh, underneath the basket uh, early in the second half and and never returned and, and, and missed the game uh, with concussions. Symptoms, he missed three games with an injured wrist. Now, Butler won two of those games, but, but uh, you know, it could be argued was, was, pretty, was pretty fortunate to do so because one was in overtime and one was on Kamar Baldwin's uh, last-second shot. So it's a little, you know, uh, as, as probably people in, in uh, New Jersey are jumping off bridges, worrying about the Pirates, uh, it's just so easy to overreact things in uh in in this uh, big east season but the, you know the fact is everyone's so close and we sure didn't expect this rematch to have you know butler kind of reeling and and seton hall kind of reeling at, you know after ending its what 26 year losing streak at villanova so i think a lot of it is just the the big east is so difficult and you have to have a short memory you know, speaking of the Big East cannibalism that happens every year, Seton Hall recently lost to Creighton and more recently against Providence. And the latter one was just ugly. We just heard Kevin Willard come out with tough words for his team in the post game after the loss, which may have indicated some locker room fracture. How are things holding up with Laval Jordan and his squad as they go through the up and downs? 
You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, Laval, you know, who is a very positive uh, coach and, and, and I think has pretty close relationships with his players, for, for him, he was, he was sharply critical uh, after the game as well, uh, kind of suggesting that the, uh, you know, Butler wasn't tough enough against Georgetown and that they'd been uh, uh, listening to too many people tell them how great they are. I think he was speaking sort of generally about college basketball and, and, and what, you know, what these, what these young men ha- have to cope with with social media and all kinds of stuff. But it was, uh, and, and our columnist, Greg Doyle, was, was, uh, who never rips into Butler, really ripped him to him quite a bit, quite a bit yesterday. But I don't know, this sport is so weird. I mean, but here yet, Butler has won at Georgetown four times in a row. And since Butler joined the Big East, Georgetown is 6-1 and one at Hinkle Fieldhouse. I mean, frankly, some of this stuff is just inexplicable. And, and I think part of yesterday was Georgetown was 10-15 of 15 on threes, and they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams uh, in the Big East. I think sometimes you just kind of have these outlier games. Butler may, may have looked a little bit tired. So I just who, – who knows what we'll see when Butler – play Seton Hall in this rematch. I, I just impossible to predict. Well, what has not been an outlier has been Kamar Baldwin's performance so far this season. He has just been outstanding to date. Definitely a first team all Big East type player. 16 points a game, three assists, four and a half rebounds. He's hitting big shots to close out games. Where would this team be without his leadership and production? Yeah, they'd probably be uh they'd probably be NIT bound for sure. But they're seven and six now. I don't know what would they be uh three and 10 without him or something. Uh, and I, and I, I don't know if he's underappreciated. I, I'm sensing in the league that he's not, but I think because Marcus Howard and Miles Powell are such big scores on, uh, on touted teams in this league, uh, Kamar Baldwin just doesn't get much recognition. Uh, you know, I've called him the Mariano Rivera college basketball because he really is a phenomenal closer. I mean, he has pulled out a lot of games for Butler that they just absolutely would have lost without him. Uh, but having said that, he, he does suffer when he has to be the point guard. And uh, in addition to the shooting guard, when Aaron Thompson is not there, it, it just has a ripple effect that maybe not completely can't be measured. But I'll tell you, every, every coach in the Big East is very mindful uh, of uh, how to uh, how to handle Aaron Thompson. And, and, and a lot of coaches have been very candid, so they're not so worried about Baldwin, but they try to control Thompson because, you know, if, if they can control Aaron Thompson – they feel like they can control Butler's offense. Well, similar to Seton Hall and Miles Powell, Butler needs that secondary production to be consistent, like you mentioned here. But Sean McDermott has really improved every major statistical category. But in Butler's seven losses, he only averaged nine points per game. How important is Sean's scoring to this success? Yeah, it's absolutely critical. I mean, I mean, basically, if he there, it's a, it's kind of maybe a kind of consider a fragile team you know if he doesn't if he doesn't come up big you know butler just can't win um butler actually played fairly well at villanova because he started the game 0 for 10 from the field and was 0 of 7 on threes i mean butler lost by 15 he got good shots he actually got some pretty good looks yesterday against georgetown from the arc but, but he was two for ten it's just such a fine line i mean if you know depending on the time of the game now georgetown made a late run but you know if mcdermott's you know, three or four for 10 uh, on threes, you know, Butler probably wins the game. But because he's two for 10, uh, they lose this. I mean, everyone game plans for, for McDermott a lot. And he has gotten a lot better because people are crowding him at the line on um, on, on dribbling into the paint and, and, and making some two-point shots. I mean, he's 
he's really had well, I you know, I I, I hope he gets consideration for second team all big east because because he's had a terrific season. He's fifth in the in the league in league play, fifth or sixth in rebounds and, and uh he's been terrific on the defensive glass. If he has an off night, and he and Bolton have an off night together. I mean, Butler's not so gifted that, that they can beat you. Their whole has to exceed the sum of their parts. I think their talent is okay, you know, but it's not it's not magnificent. And and maybe the fifteen to one start, uh, you know, disguised some of Butler's uh, talent shortcomings. You know, not not their cohesiveness shortcomings, but I mean, I'm I'm astounded to see now. I mean, Butler was once a top 10 defense in points allowed per possession, you know, according to the Ken Pomeroy numbers. And I see now Butler's dropped all the way to 56th. And in Big East play, believe it or not, Butler is ninth in the league in defensive efficiency. So, David, is is that because, you know, I, I thought they played a respectable out-of-conference schedule, but we talked about the Big East gauntlet. Do you think Butler maybe played a little bit of a softer non-conference thing compared to uh, some of the other teams in the Big East? No, actually, they they probably played when, when the schedule came out. I mean, I thought, oh, this schedule is way too difficult uh, for Butler. Now, as it turns out, maybe some of the teams they beat weren't as good as as we thought they were going to be. I would say, notably, uh, uh, you know, Florida turned out to be not as good as we thought it would be. Uh, maybe Purdue, um, but they also beat Stanford, which had been a good team. And really, probably one of the more interesting games Butler has played is they lost by one point. Uh, at uh, you know number one ranked Baylor, Kamar Baldwin had a uh, had a last second shot that was blocked with like a second and a half to go, and I guess it was a clean block. Although I, I have I have people who tell me that he was fouled in the legs and should have, should have been a foul, and he made two free throws and Butler won. I mean, the, the narrative of this college basketball season would be quite a bit different, I think, if uh, Butler had won at Baylor. Butler be higher, and, and Baylor wouldn't be number one. I completely agree. I think that was the eye-opening game of the non-conference that kind of announced that Butler had kind of arrived this year. But, you know, they did play Missouri and Old Miss, teams that have kind of been – and Minnesota, uh, to add to that list, kind of teams that have been in the middle of the pack in their conference. But I but I agree with you. The Florida game and the Baylor game is what jumped out to me in their non-conference. Yeah, and and they, and they did win at Mississippi. And it was just such a contrast because last year Butler was just horrible on the road. They were, they were two of ten – two and 10 in true road games. And you just kind of wanted to see if this was a different Butler. Uh, and, and it has been. Okay, David. So in your opinion, we talked about this earlier. We didn't expect both Big East teams to kind of come into this matchup struggling, but they are. So who has more pressure on them on Wednesday night? Ooh, boy, that, you know, that I like, I love that question, but I, I don't know if I can answer it. I, I think, I think maybe Seton Hall, you know, because you have to win, you know, you have to win your home games. <laughs> At least we thought that was the case. Uh, maybe a little bit more pressure on Seton Hall. I think the expectation would be that Butler on the road, especially if Aaron Thompson doesn't come back, you know, from, from concussion systems, doesn't play. But on the other hand, I mean, there's 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 pressure on Butler, too, because after this, they go to Creighton. I mean, by all chances, I mean, Butler's 0-2 this week. And, you know, and then you've lost 8-12 and and probably fall the top 25 and, your NCAA tournament seed line is uh, plummeting. So during the first matchup, Romaro Gill had a sort of coming out party offensively, scoring a career high 17 points. But more recently, teams have begun to keep track of him and try to pack the inside and keep the pick and roll from becoming a weapon for him. What do you see Butler doing strategically in terms of slowing down Gill? Well, they'll probably try the same thing, but you know, they're, uh, 
when they had you know seven one Derek Smiths coming off the bench that you know they had an extra extra big body. They only had nine players available against Georgetown, but you know you can't complain because uh, about something like that because Georgetown, uh, you know they're basically they're basically playing with with six guys or you know maybe five. So they don't you know they don't have any they don't have any depth. Butler has a freshman uh, local kid John Michael Malloy who came in, but you know against the you know the Gills and the you know sevens and the and the and, and the big centers in in the in the Big East. I mean he just he just can't match up for them. And and Bryce Sands he's kind of uh, undersized anyway. Now Bryce Golden can kind of hold his own. He's a pretty good athlete and he's six nine and and he's played well uh, a lot for Butler. Although kind of oddly only played fourteen minutes against Georgetown. So I I, I think uh, Gill is going to be every bit as big a problem as he was before and and uh, you know Butler really in the Big East play has yet to show that it can defend without fouling. All right, David, let's flip the script for a second. Who has to step up more on the Butler roster and be a potential X factor in this game compared to the first matchup? They need a good game from Jordan Tucker. He, he made four point. He made four threes in the last six minutes of the first half against Georgetown. But, you know, but that was about it for him for the game. You know, he just can't come in and out on that. Now, I guess to his credit, and he's a native New Yorker, to his credit, he has really improved uh, as a defensive player and he's a very good defensive rebounder so he, he is more than a shooter but uh, I mean a lot, I think a lot of these games just come down to just come down to shot making and I, I, I think that's what Butler's last game came down to I mean Butler took twice as many three-point attempts as Georgetown did they took 32 but but made one less I mean, Georgetown was 10 for 15, and Butler will certainly need to restrain Miles Powell. But, you know, unfortunately for Butler, Powell is probably due for a big breakout game. And, and I know Powell does have some really bad shooting games, but, you know, he can also score, you know, like 16 points in a quarter. All right, David, we're going to put you on the spot. Who wins this game on Wednesday night? Well, I, I, I almost never make predictions, but, I, you know, I, I would think Seton Hall would win. Uh, okay, David, give us some of the reasons as to why you believe that. Well, I, I think Kevin Willard re- reading the riot act to his team is going to is going to make a difference. You know, Seton Hall's kind of due. I think if Butler gets Aaron Thompson back, I think Butler will play pretty well. Say, well, you know, it's there's no moral victories. It's all about it's all about wins or losses. But I, I think if Butler goes there, plays pretty well, and you know, loses by four points, I you know, I I just can't see that. I just can't see that as a catastrophe. Now, if they go there and, and lose by twenty seven. Uh, you know that that would not be a good performance, but I, I really don't expect to see that. And really, in the first meeting, I I, I know it's a dispiriting loss uh, for Butler. But if if um, if uh, Thompson hadn't been in such foul trouble and had I think played only three less than four minutes in the second half, I think Butler would have held on and beaten Seton Hall, and, and and the league standings would look a lot different. Well, David, we thank you so much for taking some time out today and joining us here. We really enjoy these behind enemy line segments, and we really appreciate you. Well, I just I just I'm making that making the trip to Newark uh, Wednesday, so I, I'm 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 at least hoping it's a it's a good competitive game. David Woods, everybody. Okay, Mike, we just heard about Butler. But that's not the only game. We've got one of those hated Sunday games against St. John's coming around. Well, I mean, currently they sit at 14 and 11 overall. They're ninth in the Big East standings at three and nine. And two of those wins have come against last place DePaul. Coming into this week's play, Tommy, they have lost six out of their last seven. 
with that lone win coming against the aforementioned DePaul. The news got worse for the Johnnies as Mustafa Heron, their second leading scorer, was ruled out for the rest of the season with that nagging ankle injury. But then wouldn't you know it? They just beat that Providence team without the aforementioned Mustafa Heron. They host Xavier on Monday before getting a full week of rest before traveling across the river for the Sunday matchup with the Pirates. I, I don't know. I, here's, here's what I was going to say is if St. John's decides to try to press us again and throw everything they can at us, I might be a little concerned. But we solved that in the second half last time. With Anthony Nelson playing. Well, <laughs> you know, Mike, you know, we mentioned, I mentioned earlier that Pat Ewan really gets the most out of his players. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that Mike Anderson doesn't surely get the same out of his St. John's team. I mean, they play a style that we don't like. They press, they ball hawk, they try to grind it up. They, re they really muck up games, and that's how they get to you. And once we start turning the ball over, Mike, it just Seems like it's a rolling snowball down the hill. Just keep gathering, gathering snow. So, I mean, they play a style that we don't like. Now, they're one of those inferior squads that I talked about that we should be able to handle and handle well. It is home, but you know, we've played better on the road than we played at the Rock this year, so I don't know. Tommy, you gotta win this one. Of the five games that we just highlighted to end the season, this is the one that jumps out that says you gotta put a W you know, on the scoreboard. But we but, said that about Xavier. We said that about Providence. Come on. You know, and, and again, it's the Big East that may be cannibalizing itself, making itself look bad. But this is a game you have to win now. Uh, that's why my buddies call me Mikey Mush. So what the heck do I know? I mean, I think they got to go back to a one game at a time mentality. And you just got to kind of grind it out until the, until the game is over. And you can't take it for granted. If you don't win these two games, Mike, this week against Butler and Providence, the road gets harder. But Tommy, speaking of the road, the road to 24-94 continues on. Miles Powell scored 39 points this week and has officially passed Jeremy Hazel for third place all-time on the scoring list. He now sits at 21-61 and stares down the great Nick the Quick Workman for second place overall. For Powell to beat Terry, though, you know, he would now need to average 23.8 points per game over the final five regular season matchups and nine postseason contests. Still got him going to the finals, huh, Mike? I, I got no other math to even make this logical. I mean, if he hadn't, <laughs> if he hadn't gotten hurt and missed essentially four full games, he could have broken Terry's record at his current average in a total of seven postseason games. You know, that still would have been really tough to do, but but that would have made sense. Now, you know, I think Jeremy Hazel is one of those underappreciated guys, truly. His teams were not as successful as they could have been, and he never met a shot he didn't like, but he, he totaled some impressive numbers. 21-46 total points scored for his entire career. He averaged almost 19 points a game. 328 made three-pointers was just passed by Miles this past week. Well, yeah, I mean, Jeremy's kind of known for his offense, but he did finish, you know, ninth all-time on the steals list with 191. You know, and even though the Seton Hall had some down years, he was getting the recognition throughout the Big East. He made some form of an all-Big East team every year in the conference. He made the all-freshman team. He had two 13 performances, and he had a second team performance in his junior season. 
and kind of people forget that he got hurt, you know, right at the beginning of that senior season. Otherwise, you know, maybe he would have gone on to big. Then he got things. shot, Mike. Don't forget the shooting, man. I like it was a rough stretch for Seton Hall basketball. We weren't always in the news for what happened on the court. Let's just leave it at that, all right? But but I'll I'll say this: I, I got a chance to watch Jeremy. We've been kind of breaking down some of these guys on the list. Jeremy, I got a chance to see in person, uh, obviously, compared to any of the other guys from, you know, back in the day. Jeremy never met a three he didn't like. He led the nation, Tommy, in three-point attempts in 2010-2011. He finished his career only second to Jerry McNamara, and who knows if he actually didn't get hurt. Uh, how close he would have been behind Jerry. I really enjoyed Jeremy because he left you with a lot of favorite moments throughout the years with some of his performances. He could get like microwave hot and take over a game. You know, his freshman year, I don't remember whether it was 32 or 35. They, they don't keep the game logs online for, you know, going back that far. But that was when Patino came to, came to the Rock and Bobby Gonzalez and the Hall walked out with the victory, and Hazel just went nuts. And he's kind of like waving his arms, running back on D. The crowd's going nuts. He started shooting shots from the logo. He was the he was the <laughs> starter of taking shots that were well outside of distance before Powell did. So I mean, that just got fans excited about the Bobby Gonzalez era and seeing a player like Hazel. And, and then the year you know that he's a junior. And they kind of struggled in the non-conference, but it was the, you know, Jeff Robinson and Herb Pope and Keon Lawrence. And they get West Virginia at home, who was top 10 on CBS to start the Big East season. And they're kind of getting their butts beat in for most of that game. And in the final 60 seconds, the Hall rallies down by 10 to send the game to overtime. And Azell finishes with 41. Unfortunately, they lost an OT, but man, that was an exciting game. And then last but not least, he comes back from injury his senior season to put in 28 at number nine Syracuse in a 22-point blowout win. And, Tommy, I know how you love yourself, some Syracuse blowout against the hated Orangemen. You, you know, and I just keep going back to the point that if Jeremy doesn't get hurt his senior year, he's definitely number two on this all-time scoring list. And he might even be number one. I mean, you know, like we say, everything has to fall into place to get to that 2494, but he's definitely within a shot or two of making it. It would have been interesting. It would have been fun. You know, Seton Hall wasn't making the NCAA tournament during the, those days. So to have another storyline, that, that would have been a lot of fun to follow. So, Mike, I've got all my anger out. I've got it out of my system, and I'm ready to be Mr. Positivity again. We're going 2-0 this week. Butler is struggling. They're coming to our house. Like I always say, College kids don't travel well. You're coming all the way from Indiana to New Jersey. They're going to take care of business against Butler. They're going to take care of business next Sunday against the Johnnies. We're getting this ship righted, and we're going to get back on track. You're just a glutton for punishment. You just don't learn. Does history ever teach you anything? One game at a time. One game at a time. You know what's going to happen. They should win both of these games. They need to win both of these games. They're going to stub their toe. You watch. I'll play Mr. Negativity. They'll find a way to stub their toe, if not in one, but in possibly both. And the sky will be falling. We'll come back here on the podcast just like we did last year and say, oh, my goodness, they're going to have to run the last three. There's no way that they can do that. 
and then watch. They'll go run the last three at Marquette, Nova, and at Creighton. They just this is what this team does. They they keep you on edge. It's a roller coaster for a reason. So yeah, let's let's just go watch the game. Go Pirates! Go Big Blue! Go Big Blue! So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former players Mark Bryant, Marcus Toniel, Lavelle Sanders, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkaharski, I am Mike Dizzy Dizzyri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 